Hey, thanks for coming back. This is part two of our Kate Williams episode. Kate just had so much to say, and she was such an amazing personality that we had to break it up. So here we go with Kate Williams, part two. So speaking of the speaking of the current day, um, the monarchy. So one one of the things that I wanted to to really talk with you because you really have become the go to person um, for the monarchy, and you know I think that's awesome um, for you is you know first of all did you see William and Kate and Harry and Meghan taking these two different turns right I mean I think William and Kate have become the picture of what uh, and I'm looking at this from an outsider by the way of what we see as what the moniker is he wears his little spiffy uniform and and Kate has the hats and she's very proper carries herself you know her carriage is very royal like um as is his and then we have harry and megan moving down to la right kind of doing their own thing rebuking the stuff um did you see this did you feel that that schism was going to come between those two brothers or is this a surprise to you oh it was a huge it was a real surprise to me when it actually happened in that early january day when suddenly the announcement was made and i had um i had heard from various sources that think that there was some talk of change, that, it, that, that Harry and Meghan felt that life uh, in the Royal Goldfish Bowl, that what was being said about them, the, the criticism in the newspapers, all the, all the stuff that was being said, it wasn't tenable anymore. But I, but I didn't think, I, I thought there was going to be more negotiation, more discussion. I, did, I thought it was, I, I thought it was, I didn't think it was going to happen like that. And I, I mean, I think that, so and when, when we look back to the wedding, uh, to the wedding of Harry and Meghan, it was just such a, it was such a wonderful day. It was really a beautiful day. And I really think, I think so many of us were so excited because it, uh, obviously Britain's a multicultural country and, and yet many of our elite institutions don't really reflect that. They're uh, very white in many ways. And, and so Meghan and the royal family, it was really, I think it was really important. It was really transformative considering that the queen is head of state of many countries who are not majority white and many in the, in the Caribbean who and many and the Commonwealth is not majority white either I think it's really important to have a multicultural royal family so it was a really important day and yet things uh, really changed so quickly and I have to say I think that you know I think that um I, I think that there were two I think I think I think two main points I think initially on that the day of which is called Mexit isn't it that Harry and Meghan put out a statement about about but the change they wanted to have, that they wanted to be half in, half out. They wanted to sort of earn their own money, but also represent the Queen. And I, and really the decision was made that that couldn't happen. It, you're either in or you're out, which isn't at all the case. There are European, the, the European monarchies, they are more low key than the British monarchy. And there are many younger siblings, they have, they, they both come to royal events and do royal stuff, but they also uh, earn their own money, they have jobs. And so that's a very feasible model. And there are actually many of the minor roles within the royal family who work with, with the royal family but, and have jobs as well, such as, such as Peter Phillips, such as the Queen's cousin. So, so it was possible for Harry and Meghan to do that, I feel very strongly. And I do think that they will be very effective uh, uh, with, 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 say, the Commonwealth tours or travelling for the Queen. It would have been really effective. Harry was a great, I mean, Harry was always fantastic on tours. And so was Meghan as well. And I think that they, and you know, when you look at the footage of their tours in South Africa, you just think, well, that was, you know, there's real star power there. And they're so popular that they could have, could they have done that. And I, I, I think that, so that, I think that was incredible, a real, a huge mistake 
to not say, well, how can we how can we work with this being half in, half out? And I think also what we saw with Harry and Meghan coming into the royal family was really bad um, in the sense that the criticism of Meghan uh, in the press uh, and online and it was just was, was was completely untenable. I mean, it's not possible for someone to live under that. You know, the sexism, the anti-Americanism, the racism, uh, you know, you know, huge amounts of racism. And I think that, um, you know, it, what, what fascinated me is how everyone got so obsessed with a, there was, uh, they had this cottage, Frogmore Cottage, the 2.4 million it cost to do it up. 2.4 million it cost to do it up. And everyone got obsessed with this 2.4 million and, you know, obsessed with it. They were going on and on. I was trying to cover the christening of Archie and everyone was like, but yeah, but we gave them 2.4 million. Why can't we see pictures of the baby? And you just think, but you know, until then, royals had spent millions on their property, millions, and no one ever cared, like hundreds of, you know, tens of millions, you know, 700, you know, in the same year, someone's one property had 700,000 pounds in a boiler and a million pounds on a drive. I mean, the, the sort of carriage drive. And everyone was like, oh yeah, you know, you know, the royals spend loads of money on their property, but and every royal had done up their property with millions of pounds worth of money, whether it's you know right or wrong, or, you know whatever. But something Harry and Meghan do, and it's become some kind of massive disaster. And everything that every royal really had been congratulated for, from closing the car door to editing magazines to, uh, or, or given a passport, such as going on private jets. But when Harry and Meghan did it, it was a complete disaster. And I see, you know, very much why it wasn't possible for them to live in that way because every you know they were constantly being told you took 2.4 million you must do this in a way that no other royal ever is well i have a couple of couple of couple of questions on that um so one you said like um i don't know why they didn't try to work it out so one who would that be that would work it out would that be the queen um would she be the one who would say hey guys let's sit around the table let's see how we can make this work and if it was her or whomever it was why do you think they didn't try to make it work why do you think well, they did say, hey, just go? Yeah, in or out. Whereas there yeah. are many, you know, and I think because we have to, I, I think the European monarchies are very much the model that we will follow. That, and, that, you know, the European monarchies were way ahead of the British monarchy in terms of saying that if a daughter is born and she's the eldest child, she should be first in line for the throne, even if she has brothers. It took us, they did it in the 90s. It took us till 2013. Um, so, the European monarchies and their model that younger siblings are half in, half out was, I think, was I think a very effective model. And I think, well, what I think was going on really is when you look at the the the, the accounts of what was going on, with the courtiers, I think, were in a bit of a blind kind of panic and thought, and so this is what's got to be, and we're going to be very strict about this, and we've got to be strict about that. And they were advised, certainly, I think the Queen was advised that you could, this was how it had to be, and it couldn't be workable because it does seem to me a, a terrible mistake. I mean, you, why not try, just, just try and give it six months? And if it didn't work, it didn't work. Why not just try and give it six months or a year? And uh, what's really interesting, of course, is that at the moment um, we have uh, the uh, a Caribbean tour, William and Kate are on Caribbean tour, but it hasn't, there's been lots of, sort of protests in the Caribbean tour and Jamaica has said that Barbados has already removed the Queen as head of state. And Jamaica has said that they are going to do the same. And Jamaica's always been saying they were going to do it when the Queen was no longer on the throne, but it's obviously been accelerated. And I certainly think that um, some, uh, there's been interesting surveys, and actually a parliament did a survey on this, that um, some of the, some countries, uh, majority black countries, uh, watch what happens in this country in terms of what's happened to uh, black people in, in this country. And uh, the Windrush scandal was a, was a great scandal in this country, wherein people who came over here after the war from Jamaica and the Caribbean and were 
invited over to rebuild Britain and work in the NHS and, and, and working uh, work in the sort of infrastructure that their children uh, then, when the children turned sort of, over the last few years, their children who didn't have sort of passports were suddenly told that you had to go home and they suddenly tried to deport them, all these people in their 70s and huge win for scandal. So that did affect, and I, and I do think, um, you know, Caribbean countries have been looking at this and saying, well, if you couldn't have a multicultural royal family then, then why should we be, why should this happen? And I, I, I think that, I think that it, it, you know, ever since then, you know, millions and millions have been spent by the royal family, millions have been spent by the government. I mean, millions are wasted by the government. I mean, they, they set up this like briefing room, the government, to, for like, I think it was three million or something, I can't remember, and it never got used. So, but for some reason, um, a, a woman, a woman of colour married into the royal family and nothing, everything, she couldn't win, everything that she did was attacked. And it, people sometimes say, well, Diana was attacked. And you're like, yes, but Diana died being chased by the paparazzi. This is not a good thing. <laughs> yeah, this is, and and I, I think that, I think, it, I think that when you look at accounts, it did seem like everyone was panicking and no one said, oh gosh, you know, let's give it a try. And that I think that, I, I think, you know, the idea of reinventing the wheel seemed, too modern, and I think it was a, it it was a mistake because you know we all need to be open to change. I mean, we all need to change, and we all need to be open to change. And we can't expect. I think it will happen. I think that the younger children of the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge now, in the future, I don't think they're going to be full time royals. I think I think that's not. Good. I think they're going to be much more likely to be people half in, half out. Um. So so, I had a question. Do you think that Kate and Meghan? Was there anything there that might have led to the the, the cracking of this relationship? There was the big coverage of the um, you know. There's nothing more I seem to think we seem to like than in than in, in society than you know women don't get along. Women kind of beat each other up. But, you know that, that's what we love. Don't we? we love Elizabeth it, and Mary. Love these dramas. Yeah, handbags. And so I think everyone was always looking for that. Um, and there was that big story that became hugely dramatic about. Megan making Kate cry at the right. Oh, right. fitting, and then Megan said to Oprah that actually it was the other way around that Kate had made her cry. And really, what I feel then was that a, a trick was missed. That simply, when that story came out, the palace just could have said, you know, no one made anyone cry. No one made anyone cry. No, no crying was 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 to be had. Just to kind of stop all the speculation and just to say, well, you know, there was no crying. But I mean, whether there was or there wasn't, I think that because it became People got so obsessed with who made who cry, and uh, I, it was clear to me that it was the brothers who were. It was the change was going on in the relationship between the brothers. That's a primary relationship, um, mm. and it was what the brothers were doing. But everyone was just so obsessed with Megan Good and Kate point. thinking this or that, and because they wanted to see kind of some sort of cat fight with handbags. And I think that I think that William had got very used to Harry kind of being the the the, the, the plus one. You know, being there with him, that they always walked in as a three, and then when Harry finds his own life and marries his own wife, and you know everything, that he automatically he will will sort of go go sort of divide in that natural way. And it's I just think, and I think part, I I do think this is my opinion that um, we expected too much of ha of Harry and William's relationship because um, I think we I, I would say maybe people would disagree with me on it, but I think we all felt very bad about Diana about you know Diana's death and. We were so touched by those children walking behind the coffin. I mean, yeah, of course, which was a horrific moment. You know, them not being able to cry when they're walking behind the coffin. And we was we were always wanted them to be kind of best friends forever and ever. But when you think about it, which siblings are best friends forever and ever? Which siblings live together and which siblings work together and, and yeah. do everything together? Most siblings, 
you know, they, they I mean, I, 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 my brother's great. I, I, he has forgiven me for putting him in the time machine. He's a great guy, but we don't live together. We don't go on holiday together all the time. We, we live different lives. And that's one, why we expected William and Harry to kind of be so, to be best friends forever and ever. And we're, we're, we're so traumatized when they couldn't. Yeah, Andrew, I mean, my God, where do you start with that? I mean, they just did a 12 million dollar, uh, 12 million pound settlement. Um, um, we, we don't have to go into the details of what he's been accused of doing. But is there any redemption for this guy in, in, in England? I think Andrew definitely thought there was going to be redemption for himself. He definitely thought that he could just wait it out, that everyone would just blow it, it would just blow over. Uh, but I think that's simply not the case. I think that certainly the fact is that he, he was very fortunate that Miss Geoffrey settled with him because he'd insulted her in all kinds of ways. His lawyers had insulted her, calling her all kinds of names and casting aspersions on her, all kinds of cruel names, casting aspersions on her. So he's very lucky that she was gracious enough to, to settle with him because simply she could have taken it to court and that would have been a complete and utter disaster for him. Even if he'd been found innocent, it would be, it would be complete and utter disaster because he'd be asked all these intimate questions. It would be salacious stuff mm -hmm. on the front page of every newspaper. And um, simply, even if he never even if there was nothing at all had gone on, the, fa the simple fact was that he was he was uh, he was dancing and, and meeting up with a with a trafficked young girl, and and that that in itself is is very shocking. So uh, Andrew's dealt. Uh, Dan Andrew's really been the epitome of entitlement from the beginning. He was entitled in his behaviour towards her. Then he did this disastrous interview with the BBC uh, about it, in which he talked about how he you know he talked about he, when he was asked. Did you see traffic women in Jeffrey Epstein's mansions because you were there a lot? He said, "Well, I I, I grew up in a palace, so I see people coming up, coming and going all the time." And you think, is there really no difference for you in between courtiers and politicians and secretaries and press secretaries and traffic teenagers who are miserable and being, you know, being treated like this by Amazing. Epstein and Maxwell? And I think that he's been lost on saying, "Oh well, I didn't really know him. I just knew Maxwell." So the fact was that when you know Maxwell was found guilty. Uh, Andrew's position was completely untenable after that. It was pretty untenable before, but it's completely untenable after that. And there's no way back for him. There's no way back for him into, into public life. I mean, though really, the minute that he gave that Newsnight interview, in which he thought, the BBC interview, which he, 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 he had his alibis were all about going to Pizza Express, a popular pizza restaurant in the United Kingdom, and all this kind of rubbish, uh, yeah, there was just no no coming back from that. It was just it was he thought it was a marvelous success, and he acquitted himself brilliantly, which just shows how he'd lived in a bubble all his life and been told that everything, yeah, everything was right. marvelous when it was dreadful. He was so entitled in his behavior towards Virginia Giuffre when she was just a young girl, and he was entitled after over and over again after that. That's and right. and he he can never come back to public life. That's that's the end. I mean, there's no one want he was forced to renounce his military titles because so many soldiers wrote. An open letter saying we don't want this person being an our honorary, our honorary you know colonel. We don't want this person. We you know the, the army is somewhere that's trying to be an, an, an employer that's enlightened and this and about you know equality. We can't have someone like that if, who's who behaves like this being our honorary colonel. So really, I think that Andrew Andrew he 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 has to not just retire from public life, not just retire from handshaking and charity openings, but full time be out of the whole royal family setup. He can't be waving from the balcony in the Platinum Jubilee. He can't be a private family member. He's really got to be completely out of the picture. Yeah, uh, so so we, I, I agree with you. I think that he's probably done, right? I think he's probably, he, they should find him a nice cottage in Lock 11 
right? We can play a little irony there. <laughs> put him in lock 11, let him stay there nice and, you know, nice and comfortable and just put him out of sight. I don't think he's a good, he's a good image for the, for the royal brand. Um, but what happens to the royal? What happens to the monarchy? Is, does this call into question the need for the monarchy? Do people, do people in the United Kingdom now say, eh, do we really need these guys? I mean, is this, has this served a purpose? I think that I think the greatest questioning of the monarchy I've ever seen was in the immediate aftermath of Princess Diana's death. Mm. There was a lot of great questioning of the monarchy in many ways, partly due to the monarchy's uh, dealing with the aftermath of Diana's death, but also partly with the whole setup of why we got this family into which someone marries, a young woman marries, and she's eaten alive, which was obviously so fascinating, wasn't it, that we all vowed never to do this ever again, and then when Meghan marries into the royal family, she too is eaten alive as well. And, um, and, and, and so I think that there's a huge drop in royal popularity in the late 1990s, after Diana's death in 1997, and you really see a real growth of people who are either um, indifferent or actually anti the royal family. And it then generally kind of crept up and particularly around the uh, wedding of William and so that thanks to the young royals to Harry and William around the wedding of William and Kate the Queen's Jubilee in 2012 Olympics when the Queen everyone thought the Queen was jumping out of a helicopter over over the over the Olympic Stadium in the opening ceremony with James Bond I mean you know all of it you know we really saw a peak of royal popularity then and it's been pretty consistent but it is I think beginning to decline now and I think there's a lot of respect for the Queen uh, for a woman who wasn't born to the job, she didn't expect to get the job, and she has done it, you know, thrown her duty into it, thrown everything into it, and really done it with a huge amount of commitment. And here she is, still in her 90s, having suffered COVID. I mean, I had COVID uh, just at the beginning of the year, and I was off my feet for three three weeks, and how it must be when you're 90 to get even a small strand of, of COVID. I mean, she, she, you know, she's just, been, she's worked tirelessly, but I think certainly, as we're seeing with countries, no longer having the Queen as head of state. I think Australia will reevaluate certainly after the Queen is no longer on the throne. I think that once we have a new monarch, I think there's going to be a lot of questioning, a lot of evaluating, a lot of saying, you know, particularly in terms of the money spent, people are going to say, you know, that they, they are, there's a large amount of money spent and uh, is this feasible, particularly in the ways that they travel on uh, all mm -hmm. the royals on private jets and helicopters, is that really sustainable in, uh, in, the, modern, in the modern world? And I, I think that um, particularly uh, what we're going to see is I think that, you know, real reevaluation of what the monarchy is, is for. And I think when we, in history, in, you know, hundreds of years time, this modern moment, this moment at the moment that the sort of end of the 20th century, beginning of the 21st century, will seem like the high watermark of, of monarchy in terms of the queen, in terms of her traveling round and round the country, in terms of her, you know, her, her all over the world how famous she is I think that it's definitely going to change under Charles and I think that there is going, there, there is, we are seeing a lot of I think a, a real growth of either indifference or um, actually disliking the monarchy and outside of general affection and sort of respect for the queen uh, and, and her long life and everything that she's done I think that the actual monarchy itself people are beginning to question it much more and certainly questioning uh, some of the ways in which it, in which it is, I think it's not. I don't think there's, we're likely to see it being abolished anytime soon. Anytime soon, I think that obviously that's going to be a referendum. We haven't had many many good many good experiences of referendums recently in this in this country. But I think that we will certainly see a, a lot of demand for change and a lot of demand in terms of, in, in, particularly in terms of 
money, particularly in terms of the work they can do, and particularly most of all, I think, in terms of transparency, in terms of wanting to know exactly where money is and what is said and what political influence is had. So, so I do think that we are going to see huge amounts of change. And Andrew, and although there are many aspects to this, I think Andrew is, you know, it has, has a huge has a huge impact on this. I think Andrew, people are really shocked and really, uh, you know, you know, it was it he he sort of betrayed. He was entitled. He was. Uh, Entitled, he was uh, treated this young lady, you know, very bad ways. Even even if he even if he was innocent, he he obviously was very dismissive of her. And I think that I think that he that he, he as you say, he's very bad for the royal brand. But 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 uh, it, you know, I think for a long time people wanted to kind of say, well, Andrew's just a bad egg, and everyone's different. And increasingly, I think everyone's saying, well, you know, where does this how come he's so entitled that he thinks mm -hmm. that he can he can be like this? So I think that. I think that we are we are on the historians of the future will look at this as the sort of great change of monarchy, and they will see the, the second Elizabethan age as the sort of high watermark of monarchy in terms of you know the, you know the, the, the you know millions watching the royal wedding you know mi mm -hmm. so million millions watching the royal weddings million you know the Queen's state visits the huge coverage of any of you know when when the when 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 the presidents come, you know, huge excitement, you know, that the when the Queen was chatting to Obama, you know, everyone, everyone you know, it was a big moment and the and, and foreign heads of state, they do want to meet the monarch. It's it's really important. And you always think about, you know, it wasn't long after um the Queen's coronation in the 50s when um suddenly uh um uh, Aristotle Onassis thought the best way to put Monaco back on its feet was was for Prince Rainier to marry a movie star, to marry a movie star and make, you know, it's all to be about, you know, huge royal wedding and huge celebrations. I think that so the, the idea that the power of royalty celebrity could be could be so potent, I think that's definitely going to change. Okay, that's interesting. This might be that inflection point um, in 20 years when we look at the monarchy at, in 20 years from now, if it looks very different, like like you said, it won't be abolished, but it probably will look very different. Um, I think so. And this will probably so. be that point. And, and obviously, when certainly we're seeing a sort of domino effect of countries saying they no longer wish for the Queen as head of state, and that will be obviously it makes the monarchy much smaller in its effect. We may see another Scottish referendum. So we, the, the monarchy's sort of geographical area is going to change, I think, in the very least. But I think there's certainly going to be uh, calls for uh, the, the the in terms of questions of um, of money. And I think obviously, you know, when you think about the energy crisis uh, that we're all going through um, and the heating crisis, you know, the, the palaces are not very heat efficient. It has to be said. So I think that I think that we are on the brink of, I think, great change. And I think I think Char Charles's reign uh, will see, you know, huge, huge changes. We've always expected many countries to leave uh, in, term in terms of head of state when Charles came to the throne. But that's obviously an accelerated process. And I think that the platinum jubilee that's coming up very soon will certainly be uh, seen as the kind of the high watermark of monarchy. I mean, no monarch that is going to reach reach that milestone, I think, for for many years. And I think certainly some of the monarchy and its importance to British public life is 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 undergoing great change. Now, so I, I appreciate that. That was great. That that's kind of what I wanted to hear. I was very interested in you as the go-to person on the monarchy. Really felt about that. Um, but now I want to play five questions with you before we let you go because you've been. Oh so my gosh, this is going to be hard. It's going to be hard. I'm going to be hard. You've been so entertaining. You've been oh, well. you've been as delightful as I thought you would be. As delightful as an intelligent as I you've thought you'd be. You've been so charming to me. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you just five questions. These are pretty random. Just curious what your answers might be. All right. 
So if there were a movie made of your life, which there likely will be, let's hope it comes out better. <laughs> oh no, before we get to that, what did, you, what did you think about an Irish woman and an Australian playing two of the icons of British history in, in the movie about Elizabeth and Mary? Oh, I mean, I enjoyed I enjoyed the movie. Yeah. I thought I I thought it, I thought it was. I mean, there were things that were changed, but I thought it really I thought it got a good really came got across how Mary was surrounded by men. And you know what? It really does fascinate me because um someone a lot of people wrote to me. They like you to kind of fact check movies, and someone got very upset that there was a a black gentleman um in in the play playing Randolph the ambassador. You're like we can't have that. You can't have that. You're like but actually, but there were black people and people of color in the 16th century. Now, there weren't ambassadors, but they were there, but there weren't any Australians. So why, why is it anachronism? <laughs> what did they get offended person, by that? <laughs> to have a British black person, why is that anachronism? Why, why is that? So that really interests me, what we think is a histor historical anachronism or not, what, what people think is too far on the historical wavelength or not, it, it mm -hmm. really fascinates me. Um, but I, I guess I, I thought the movie, I did enjoy the movie. I thought it was, I, I thought it was, I thought, I thought it was, I thought there was very interesting aspects. And of course, you know, but we would say that there just wasn't enough role for the dog. You know, where was the scene with the dog? Where was the dog? You know, we should have the dog running through it the whole time, popping up at times in important moments, you know. You're talking about Sky, who went yeah. on to live in Elizabeth's court, in Elizabeth's court, right? And give all these loyal royal litters. That's yeah, how Tudor. he will go down in my book. Yeah, Tudor's um, love their dog. They, they love, <laughs> Tudor's love the dog. So, okay. So in a movie of your life, which there likely will be, who will, who will play Kate Williams? Obviously the most glamorous and beautiful and wondrous person there is. And the most, you know, glamorous actress. Oh my goodness. Who would play me? Um, well, um, I, 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 oh gosh, that's such a hard question. Um, I, I do love Julia Roberts. Uh, so, but I know that I know that she's too busy to do work these days. But I think, oh, she's, but, um, <laughs> but but uh, but maybe uh, maybe we could persuade uh, Julia out out of time, and maybe we could uh, have have her play me. But um, but I, I yes, I I I I think I'd be. I, I don't. Yes, I think I think a very boring biopics. I <laughs> no think, no, it'll be entertaining I, with your time machines. Yeah, um, <laughs> it'll be well, science I mean, fiction. I'm, I've been on my best behavior today. I would do this. I did this twenty-six mile walk around London for, for a Ukrainian charity. On, on and by the I was in such a bad mood. You wouldn't. So it's a good thing you went to give me them because by mile twenty-two I was so bored and, I was, and so cross, <laughs> so tired. And I just thought, why do people run this thing? Why do they run the London Marathon? I'm never running it. This is walking is enough. So I'm, I'm, on, my, I'm on my best behavior tonight. But um, yes, I can't imagine a movie made uh, of me. But I. But um, yes, I, 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 I hope there's lots of Welsh people in it. <laughs> <laughs> and then all right. So notwithstanding your husband, not counting him, who is your celebrity crush? Um, well, uh, is it, is it, if I say Barack Obama, is it just, is, it, is, it, is that what everyone says? Is that what everyone says? No, no. <laughs> no I don't think so. No. Uh, I think I just, I mean, what I'm very upset about, and I think I think we should have to share this now, is that why weren't we invited to Barack Obama's birthday party? It looked so much fun last summer. And it, it was <laughs> right. such a great time. And well, they just didn't invite me. I, you know, I, I decided- Well, because it's social distancing, them. Kate. It was social distancing. You would have been invited. There. there were other people there, but it just wasn't me. So so next birthday, next time he's got a big milestone birthday, I'll go, because I, I mean, I, I love Michelle as well. And I think they, they have this, and I love her book and they obviously have this marvelous marriage. So I'm just going to go to be, you know, just to, just a kind of, you know, admiring friend, admiring yeah. friend. <laughs> yes, but now the truth will be out. He is yeah, your celebrity I, crush. 
Yeah, I know. And now, now he'll never put me on his on his reading list because he does like start <laughs> reading list, and I have yeah, friends on there. So now, but never put me on there. Now, now, now I've said that. So. <laughs> All right. My next one is, so I don't know if you have this in England. Do you have, do you have guilty pleasure foods? Like the foods that you love that you're not supposed to? Yes. What is yours? Well, other than tea, which obviously I've been banned from yeah. because of my excessive uh, consumption of tea. Um, I, what do I, 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 a guilty pleasure foods. I tell you, I tell you my favorite thing, my favorite thing. And this, this, I really love a scone. I really love a big scone with cream and jam. That's my that's my favorite thing. So that would be my last meal. Now definitely. you know the way you say scone is very like a scone. Northern. That's like a scone. Yeah, I have a yeah. So that's what I do. I did. I did think of uh, you know, I did think that I would be one of my projects to try scones in every part of the country and see where they were best. Um, do you like do you do you like them kind of plain or do you like them with like icing and all that? You know, I have other... any scone. I will have any kind of scone. So oh, I, think yeah, I, I I I definitely I I'd have a I'd have a lot of them. I think that's definitely definitely my guilty pleasure but my school I tell you my other guilty pleasure is what I kind of like never re, never reimagined is my school I was lived in Birmingham and we live very near uh, the, the, the school and all, all of Birmingham is very much a uh, uh very much Cadbury's chocolate is a huge industry in Birmingham and uh, and many of my friends grew up in Bourneville where the factory is and we did I we did get a job lot some job lots of chocolate to the school and they made this amazing pudding called chocolate concrete and they would never give us a recipe I they they, they decided they quite liked me as an alumni because I've been as I said to them you know they said they, they had mistress wrote to me and they said she said I really enjoyed your tv programs I was like could I have the chocolate concrete recipe as a sort of you know, exception. I'm a really good alumni now, but she said no. The chocolate concrete recipe is secret. No one could like ever that. have it. It's like the early recipe for Google. And no one. So the chop. This is like it's kind of had this crispy top, and it was soft inside. And sometimes we used to hit it with a spoon. It used to fly off across the dining hall. So chocolate concrete. The days when we had chocolate concrete at school, it was about once a term, and it was the you know the happiest day. I mean, I know that you know these school days are supposed to be their happiest days of your life. Mine was mainly when we had chocolate concrete. So <laughs> my my guilty pleasure would be chocolate concrete, but it has to be like it was at school because I have seen recipes and it's never and I've tried to do them and I it, it's never been quite the same. And uh, yes, yeah. So I think it's because they got this job lot of chocolate from Cadbury's, and I think that it was they got something special in there. Well, as the man in charge of the time machine, I will ensure that is as they made it in your school. Thank you. Um, now we're at number four. All right. Now, don't, I got to ask this one. Who has better hair? You or Susanna Lipscomb? Oh, it's definitely Susie. Definitely. Oh, Susie. really? Yeah, I think we've, got a, we've both got good hair, but um, it's so funny. We so often mistaken for one another. We're so often we're mistaken for one another and people, um, talk to me and then write and send, send her a message saying it was lovely chatting to you and she said what and they do the same they, they talk to her and we, they, we're so often mistaken to each other so occasionally we, if we ever get together we put a picture saying here we are in the same room we're actually two 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 sort of people and um and obviously we have different color hair but uh but I think but um no I um but it's, it's funny isn't it you know when you're when I was a, when I was a child of course you know I hated my hair I hated having red hair um, because particularly, and I hate to have curly hair because perms were the thing when I was younger. And yeah. you know, you want to have perm text. Curly hair was good, but not per. But you need to be permed. So everyone, you know, thought, could you get a perm? Might look better. And I'm so glad I didn't. I'm glad I didn't get a perm. I imagine how huge it would have been. But uh, yeah, I'm, I, you know, I think it's, I think it's fantastic we're both hair together. But I, I love, I love, I love Susie's hair. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm. Uh, but I love mine too. But you know what? Emma Hamilton, subject to my first book. 
she um, apparently has hair down to her feet. And I do reckon oh my God. it was like 18th century extensions. But still, yeah. Um, yeah, I can't horse tails. any longer than this. I've been trying. I can't grow it any longer. My great-grandma, my Liverpool great-grandma, she right. could sit on it. She could definitely sit on her hair. And that, that is my dream. But I think it's not, it's not going to happen now. So You've hit your I'm, limit. <laughs> I've hit my hair, my hair plateau. It's plateaued. It's just going out. It's just not growing longer. But yeah, I love, I love, I love Sister. I think we both, we both got good hair. I think it's funny, but, but yeah, I, I, I love her, and I think yes, I say she wins. I say she wins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate the honesty of your answer, and I'm sure she will too. Um, and then final question is, what is the most embarrassing moment you've had in public? Well, let me try. <laughs> uh, let me try and think. Oh, uh, oh, well, there's many, 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 so many, so many. I, I go home. Oh no. Because you, uh, you do when you do your shows, you do a lot of walking and talking. Yeah, I always cringe. My I've got a, a friend of mine who's a comedian said that um, uh, uh, she was the, a therapist was saying that you know we are, we are pack animals and and so we're taught to be in a pack. So if you go out of the pack, you, you immediately feel a sense of kind of embarrassment and shame because we want to stay in the pack because otherwise gonna, the predators are going to get us. You know, if we're a load of gazelles, the lion's going to get us if we go out of the pack. So. So shame works to keep in the pack. So, so nearly most, nearly everything I do, I'm, I find a very embarrassing moment. But I think, I think that um, what I think that it would definitely be one um, when I was very small and I was, it was a, it was a brownie kind of big brownies. It's the kind of Girl Scouts equivalent for little kids. So I was about six, I think. And we were all waiting in a circle. We were like singing songs and things and waiting in a circle. And I was just just too embarrassed to ask if I could go to the loo and you can imagine what happened and I was yeah that was so embarrassing so I think that that would that would that would be that would be it that would be it yeah I still, I still remember it today um as a brownie yes like, oh you were a brownie I was a brownie I was a very keen brownie I was an excellent brownie so that was a bad start to brownies but then I then I really got then I got better about you know weeing on the floor <laughs> because I didn't ask you to do and that was quite a bad start but I got better there and I, then I became a leader I was the leader of the gnomes so my group were called gnomes and I was the first gnome so I was the top gnome so and I had a lot of duties I had to collect 10p each in um in subs so, and I had to lead the gnomes into all kinds of triumphs. And I'm afraid that the pixies always beat us after the elves. The gnomes would only see as the ones who didn't win. But but I I, I, I was quite, I think it was my, my leadership peak in brownies, leading the gnomes. <laughs> <laughs> like your hair, it plateaued. It plateaued, yeah. After that, I was like, you know, the, the, gnome, the, the lead gnome was the, was the best. I was the lead, the lead gnome. But yeah, I, that, was, that, was, that was a bad start to brownies. But I did love brownies and kept at it. I did enjoy it. Well, that was quite, you, 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 that, that was amazing that you overcame that because that's, that's really tough to overcome. Uh, not that I know. I have never had that experience, but geez. That does not. That doesn't sound. Yeah, good. always. I, I was just too. But they were. They were very nice about it. They were just like, you, know, you should ask if you want to go to the league. <laughs> I just, I just was too embarrassed to ask. I was, everyone was older than me. And you, it was much older than me. Uh, yeah. So that, I think that's definitely my most embarrassing one. But there are many. But I. But I. But there are many, many, many moments. <laughs> many moments when I've done a talk or a TV program. Like, oh no! What did I say? Did I really say that? Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this you have been as delightful and as smart as I figured you would oh, be. I can't tell you how much. I'm so grateful. Yeah, I've really enjoyed this. Thank you. And you've given so much of your time. Thank you so much, Kate Williams, historian Kate Williams. Um, catch her on, well, geez, everywhere. You're everywhere. Um, on the BBC. What, what, all, what channels are you not on? 
You're on PBS <laughs> now with your Queen Victoria. PBS, and obviously I've got my contract with CNN, and I do lots of BBC things for BBC and Channel Five. And um, well, I'm on the Quintana show, so that's that's the most yeah. important one. I'm on. I'm on. You plateaued. Channel. I'm on YouTube. Yeah, you I'm plateaued. Like, yeah. Exactly. I'm, 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 I'm on the big one. I'm on the big one. Yeah. Um, what channel? What channel haven't I been on? Um, Fox. I have not been on Fox. Oh, and given your given your celebrity crush, I don't think that's coming. Yeah, maybe not. To, maybe not today. Yeah. <laughs> Kate, thank you so much. You've been thank amazing. You. Thank you for having me. You've been fantastic. Okay. Hey, if you like what you hear, like and subscribe. It really means a lot, and we would love to have you coming back every week. Thank you. Pass me by.